Hey friends, welcome to another teaching episode of the South Bend City Church Podcast. Uh, Jason Miller here, and we are still in the middle of COVID and uh, staying away from one another and no gatherings and kids home from school and work disrupted, uh, all of that's going on. And in the middle of all that, we've got uh, a few ways to try to stay connected to each other and to encourage each other. And this is one piece in that puzzle right here on the podcast. Uh, I don't know how you're doing this week. I know that like I had a really low point <laughs> where I was walking through my house doing some chores and I happened to walk through a bathroom where there's a shower and I actually had the thought, maybe tonight I'll take another shower. <laughs> like I had taken a shower that morning, but I'm so bored and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I actually thought maybe the big event tonight <laughs> is I'll just take another shower because I'm bored. And then when I had the thought, I first got like super excited about it. Like, you know, when you're trucking through your day and then you find out that some friends have made some plans that sound really fun and exciting and that feeling inside of anticipation grows. I had that feeling when I thought about taking another shower. So that, that's about where things are at over here. Um, hey, let me tell you a little bit of, about some stuff going on uh, in our life together while we're apart. Uh, we've been doing the open floor episodes on the podcast on Thursdays in response to prompts that come from these teaching episodes. Uh, we're, we're not going to keep doing that every week. Our team was processing that a little bit and felt that, you know, maybe that's something better off saved for weeks when the teaching really drives toward it or something else really calls for it. So those have been really beautiful, but uh, there's no prompts in today's teaching uh, for the open floor and there won't be a, an open floor episode on Thursday, but it doesn't mean that we won't do that from time to time. Uh, other ways that, that we can stay in touch and connected uh, if you're not uh, already aware of this, uh, every Sunday now at 9.30 a.m., we're jumping on Instagram Live for a little while, usually 20, 25 minutes. And uh, I'll often be there. Uh, I'm also pulling in uh, other voices and friends from our community uh, and our church. And so if you're on Instagram, we'd love to see you. Jump in there. It's interactive and it's just sort of nice to have a digital connection with each other there. And then at 10 a.m. on Sundays, we're doing Facebook Live. It's uh, It's pretty similar to what we're doing on Instagram Live, but in case Facebook is really where you hang out, uh, you can find us at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live on Sundays. Um, this Sunday, which is coming out right, like this episode's coming out at the same time, so you might have already missed it. But this Sunday, uh, we've got uh, Zach Gillis joining me on Instagram and Facebook, and I know that you will love that. Um, also, if you're, uh, if you're on Instagram, keep an eye out. Uh, during the week, I'm doing some other Instagram Live stuff on my personal Instagram you can find me at Jason Adam Miller on Instagram. And uh, when those uh, seem like a really good fit for church space too, we'll be sure to promote that on the church Instagram account as well. Uh, but yeah, those are, those are kind of random. Sometimes those are members of South Bend City Church that I'm talking to. Sometimes those are just members of the South Bend community. Sometimes these are friends of South Bend City Church from other places. And we're just sort of uh, learning from people, checking in with people. And it runs the gamut from uh, a spiritual practice that our friend Aaron Nequist led us in this past week, uh, a sort of uh, meditation space that he led us through, to uh, in the week coming up here, uh, we've got um, some other sort of fun conversations with everything covering from uh, foster care and parenting during COVID to um, a local South Bend podcast that I'm super excited about that I think you guys should listen to. Uh, so anyway, keep an eye out uh, on Instagram. Again, you can follow me at Jason Adam Miller. And uh, you'll see that stuff during the week. And again, on the church account on Sunday mornings, 9.30 Instagram and 10 a.m. on Facebook. Uh, we just hope that's just one piece of encouragement for you as we're moving through all of this.
Now, uh, let me get into our teaching for the day. Uh, in these weeks after Easter, we've got a number of different voices from our community uh, all showing up in the teaching episodes to take us into different stories with Jesus. You know, like one of the big points, one of the big ideas of Easter is that it, it, it uh, lends an authority to everything else that Jesus said and did, right? If Jesus is the one who went all the way through death and came out on the other side, raised up by God, uh, there's, a, there's a real power in that, that that speaks to the authority of everything else that he did and said. And so it seemed fitting that in the weeks after Easter, we would look at some of the things that Jesus did and said and see if we can find ourselves in these stories. Last week, Beth Grable offered a really beautiful, really helpful teaching on Jesus and our grief, uh, reminding us, first of all, that we can grieve more than people. Sometimes we grieve dreams or lost experiences or um, old arrangements. Lots of things can be calling for grief. And Jesus has this way of helping us find meaning in our grief, which seems to be a really important way of, of moving through it. And so Beth authored that along with a really beautiful meditation at the end of her teaching. And if you haven't heard that yet, please go back and listen to last week's teaching episode. Uh, but so that's what we're doing. And this week, I'm going to take us into another moment with Jesus and the Gospels. But before we get there, let me tell you about another experience I had this past week uh, related to like life right now and COVID and everything else. Um, and I, 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 like, I really hit the wall. I had, I had a really hard, dark space um, about halfway through this week. And I think it was the weeks of social isolation and I can't go to the gym and I'm, you know, worried about things in the world and, and people I care about. And that's been going on for a while. Uh, but at the same time, there was a more concentrated thing, which was over the prior weekend, in the course of about 72 hours, a few things piled up. Uh, so last weekend, I think it was Saturday, I got the word um, that a really, a really close friend of mine, his mother had died unexpectedly. And uh, this, this, my buddy Luke and I, we're both in our 30s. And you know, when you're in your 30s, most of us in our 30s get used to the luxury of, of thinking that we have a lot of years left with our parents, you know. And so... Um, so I, I find that out and know that he's uh, walking through that very unexpected loss. Then uh, within hours of that, I also find out uh, that a couple of friends of mine um, who foster parent had just been through like, uh, maybe, maybe they would say that the hardest, most painful experience of their fostering life so far. And, and they've been at it for a while and they've had a lot of hard experiences because fostering is really hard. But man, this one just... Um, it took the cake for uh, pain and loss and trauma, uh, both for them and for these kids that they love and care about. And I just got the text and my heart sank for them and knowing what grief they were going to be carrying through that. Uh, well, then um, uh, within that same sort of 72 hour period, I, I go on these long walks now to just sort of keep my sanity uh, here in town. And while I was on one of these walks, I bump into a, a friend of mine, somebody I really care about. And this friend of mine has um, been in a recovery journey and spent some time in a rehab um, over the holidays. I was really proud of, of this person and excited for them and um, knowing how hard they were working to, to get sober. And then uh, in this past week during that same 72 hour period, I, I bumped into this friend and, and he definitely wasn't sober. And actually, you know, I just asked him, are you okay? And he just said, no, no, I'm not. And uh, that was near the end of our interaction that day. Uh, and then, uh, and then um, I also got word that another friend of mine um, had stumbled into a really unexpected and 
really, really challenging disruption, um, a, a sort of earthquake in their life that's not related to COVID or anything like that. But um, so all this piled up in the course of a few days. And by the time I got to the middle of the week, I was just at my limit for the helplessness I was feeling. Uh, because like I, like, I don't know a lot when things go wrong for people, but like one of my first rules is show up. So like any other time, if it weren't COVID, like my friend who lost his mom, I'd get on an airplane, right? I'd, I'd want to be there at the funeral. My friends who went through the fostering challenge, I'd want to ask them, hey, what's the right day this week that I could jump on the train, come to Chicago and just be with you for a bit? Maybe I can take you out to dinner or do some chores around the house for you. I don't know. Like, like showing up is the right thing to do, right? Um, same thing for this friend of mine who had fallen off the wagon with his sobriety journey. And uh, for this other friend who just bumped into this very unexpected disruption. And yet, because of COVID, like we don't get to do that. So um, the people I love are hurting. And uh, there's nothing I can do about it. And that feeling just piled up. And uh, maybe you've been there this uh, last few weeks. Uh, maybe, maybe it's um, people you know and love have lost their jobs or are losing hours and they're not sure how they're going to pay the bills. Or maybe you know someone who is sick. Or maybe you know someone who works in healthcare and they are right there on the front lines of this thing and it's scary and challenging for them. Or maybe you know someone whose mental health journey has gotten really difficult because of the isolation that comes with COVID. I mean, we could go on and on, but this is a moment where a lot of us are looking around and realizing that people we love, like our people, our friends, our family, our neighbors are suffering and struggling. And it seems that there's like not much we can do about it. Um, and that, that sort of empathic connection, it can almost feel like a curse at moments like this. So all that was going on. And then I was sitting at my desk thinking about where we would go this week in the stories of Jesus. And I was leafing through the gospels and just feeling a bit overwhelmed and saddened and um, not sure where to go when this moment in the gospels just sort of leapt off the page to me. And it's a story that happens with Jesus and the people around him. And it actually shows up in three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell some version of the story that I'm going to, I'm going to share with us today. Um, but I, I, at first, like there was just a resonance with this story and then out of the resonance came a, a kind of resolve, like a, like, yes, there's, there's something in this story for me and for, for us right now, uh, for any of us who, who are feeling this sort of empathy and helplessness, uh, that comes, especially with COVID going on. So let me take you into the story. Uh, I'm going to take you into the version of it that comes from Mark's gospel. And this is the beginning of Mark chapter two. And I'm going to tell a little bit of the story from the text and then work it out with you a little bit and then tell a little bit more and, and just make some observations about how I found myself in this story. And perhaps you'll find yourself in it in a similar way. And I hope it'll be um, at least some kind of encouragement to you today. So here we go. Mark chapter two. Uh, at the beginning of Mark, we read that when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Uh, and Mark, this is the word about like the gospel of the kingdom of God is here and it's good. And then some people came and bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So let's just kind of pause there. So Jesus shows up in Capernaum. He's already got a reputation. 
for um, for the power of his teaching and his healings, and people want to be a part of that. So this crowd shows up, and they crowd the house where he's at. And then people come, and these people are bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of these people, and they're trying to get this man to Jesus. Um, it's clear that the people with this paralyzed man are somehow probably friends with this paralyzed man. They must love this paralyzed man because they, they're carrying him on a mat, hoping that something could happen in this experience. Now, if you just sort of imagine yourself in the story with these friends for a moment, I think you can imagine both the empathy and the helplessness that they've probably felt for a very long time. I mean, the empathy is evident because I don't know why else they would be carrying this man to be with Jesus, right? Something has happened that they see their paralyzed friend and and they feel some connection to what their friend is going through and they want to do something about it. And yet, especially, you know, a couple thousand years ago without modern medicine, your friend's paralyzed. I wonder how helpless that felt and for how long. Like, like had they known this guy for a few days or a few weeks or, or for years? Are, are these this guy's childhood friends? Had they grown up together and then had some kind of accident happened where their, their friend was all of a sudden paralyzed and they couldn't play together the way that they had used to? Uh, had this person been paralyzed since before they ever became friends? But somehow they, they saw one another and they moved toward one another and built a friendship. I, I don't know, but... But something happened at some point that a friendship was forged and empathy is a part of that friendship and they can't do anything about their friend's helplessness, but they see it every day. Uh, This is um, one of those parts of being human that can be both beautiful and really challenging. I mean the empathy. I mean this strange and really beautiful thing we have that we see one another and we imagine our way into one another's circumstances. And sometimes we even have like physiological experiences of some sense of what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Now this isn't, um, this isn't just like woo woo. Uh, there's like some science that's, that's beginning to help us understand that we're wired for this kind of empathy. Uh, for example, in the 1990s, a couple of Italian scientists were doing research uh, observing the brain activity of monkeys. And they were looking for something else. The research wasn't about the thing that they discovered. But they discovered that there were certain neurons in the brains of these monkeys that lit up when they did something, when they acted in a certain way. But then they discovered that the exact same neurons that light up in the monkey's brain when the monkey, say, moves their arm or or grabs something or touches something, the same neurons light up when they see another monkey doing the same kind of movement. And uh, they they did some work on this and they coined the term mirror neurons. And there's a bunch of work on this on the internet. You can um, dig around and find some really compelling research and people trying to figure out like what this means. But there's something about the way that our brains are wired that, um, that, and this is the case with us and some other sort of closely related species that have high levels of intelligence that, that, that when we see uh, another person, doing something, experience some, something like something actually happens in our brains and our bodies that allows us to sort of put ourselves in their shoes and experience what they're experiencing. Now, like this is beautiful because it's a way that we belong to one another. It's a way of experiencing our connection with one another. It helps us take responsibility for one another. It compels compassion 
as we see somebody else and can find ourselves or imagine ourselves suffering the things that they're suffering, that's a really good and beautiful thing. But it can also create this overwhelming feeling of helplessness. Because not only are you walking around bearing your own pain every day, your own suffering every day, the things that you're dealing with, but we also end up carrying around with ourselves the suffering of others that we see, the difficulties of others that we see. And then you take all that capacity that we have and you compound it by the fact that now in the year 2020, we don't just see our own suffering and feel our own suffering and our family members' uh, difficult experiences and our neighbors' difficult experiences, but we live in a world with technology that can expose us to the things that human beings are suffering all around the world. And that can pile up in a, in a sort of uh, a heavy burden that can be too much for us to bear. Uh, so it's beautiful that we have this capacity, but it can be really, really hard to carry the weight that it brings with it. And I know that I've been feeling that in the last week or so when I think about my friends and others who are suffering. And it takes me back uh, to these people, especially these, these four people who carry their paralyzed friend to be with Jesus because they want something better for their friend. They want something to get fixed. They want something to get healed. They want something to change for the better for their friend. But they get there and they can't get him to Jesus because the room is too crowded. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, now, maybe maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've seen um, images of it or heard teachers talk about it. I love uh, what happens next. They can't get to Jesus. So we read in the text that they then um, removed the roof above Jesus. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. A uh, quick note. Uh, the way that these houses are built in ancient Palestine, it's sort of a mud thatch roof. And so there's sort of uh, cross beams that are laid and, and then thatch and then mud to create a roof. And it appears in the story that they climb up to the roof of the house because they can't get their friend to Jesus. And they decide to dismantle the roof of this house so they can lower their friend down on the mat. Uh, I sense a sort of scrappy, tenacious irreverence in this. And I love it. It seems like it seems really inappropriate, right? I mean, this isn't their house. They're interrupting the thing that Jesus is doing, but they don't seem to care about that. They just care about getting their friend the help that he needs. I, um, I, this is uh, that moment as I was meditating on the story where I just, I felt kind of uh, moved and inspired and kind of hopeful at the scrappy, tenacious irreverence of this. And it made me start to think about what scrappy can look like in my life when my friends are struggling, what tenacious can look like in my life when my friends are struggling, even, even what irreverence can look like, meaning like let the, um, let the sort of cultural expectations just fall to the side for a moment, right? Let my manners like fall to the side for a moment and just get really hungry and act on that hunger for, for your friends to be cared for to be um somehow like better off than they are right now well then the next thing that happens in the story is also really beautiful and encouraging and it's strange the text says that when jesus saw their faith meaning the faith of the friends who dug the hole in the roof and lowered this man down when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven and the text goes on now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, 
Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat and go to your home. And the paralytic stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them. And they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. So uh, these friends, scrappy, tenacious, irreverent, they dig a hole in the roof. They lower their friend down. Jesus sees the faith of these friends and he's moved by it. He wants to respond to it. And the first thing that he does to respond is to say to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, to be clear, there's nothing in the story to suggest that, that the reason this person is paralyzed is uh, something having to do with sin. And in fact, if it was really just that, then you would think that the minute that his sins are forgiven, that that would be all it would take, that that would sort of take care of the healing too. But that doesn't happen. So like, I don't know that this is about some kind of relationship between this man's paralysis and sin. But it is interesting that the first thing Jesus does is speak forgiveness to this person. Remind this person, like tell this person, God, God has compassion on you. God forgives you. You are reconciled to God. And then uh, he heals the man, especially to demonstrate his power and authority to these critics who sit by the wayside, these cynics who sit back and say, this is this good and beautiful thing that's right in front of their eyes. They don't like it because it, it disrupts their worldview or their sense of their own authority in all this. So we have um, these scrappy, tenacious, irreverent friends who bring their friend, this paralytic, on the mat. They rip a hole in the roof and lower their friend down. And Jesus responds to, to the faith of these friends and first speaks to the person about reconciliation with God, about the compassion of God, the willingness of God to forgive sin. And then... Um, speaks a word of healing and the man gets up. Now, to be clear, uh, forgiveness is not a new idea in the Bible when we hear it from Jesus. Um, like really from the beginning of the scriptures over and over and over again, we, we hear about forgiveness and compassion being in the very nature of God. Um, and uh, it seems to be sort of God's natural impulse toward humanity. We hear prayers and poems like from the Psalms, which speak that as far as the East is from the West, so far as God removed our sin from us. So it, like, it seems really clear that like, it's not a new idea when we get to the New Testament in Jesus, that God is forgiving. And yet it gets, it gets sort of crystallized uh, and clarified in his life and his death and his resurrection that, um, that this is what God has always been like, that God is this uh, compassionate presence this loving presence, this forgiving presence, which then to me sort of makes sense of the healing. Um, because if, if these lives that we live in this world that we behold, in fact, it is held within God and God is compassionate and loving and forgiving, then we might expect from time to time that God does some things, that some possibilities emerge for our own healing, for things to get better for us and for the people that we love. Um, 
so this story like did a lot for me just just in terms of you know thinking about these people I care about who are going through really hard things and I can't fix it but then it made me ask myself but could I get scrappy is there anything tenacious I could do is there even anything irreverent that I could do for these friends of mine um and I, I, like, I don't know that it'll fix anything, but if I just sit here feeling helpless and defeated, I'm going to go crazy. And the story began to make me think I, I'm not helpless and I'm not defeated. It's interesting in Matthew's telling of this same story. So again, it's Matthew and Mark and Luke. All three of those gospels have a version of this story in Matthew's story. The last line of the story says this, when the crowds saw it, meaning they saw this man forgiven and healed, when the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe and they glorified God, listen to this, who had given such authority to human beings. The text there in Matthew 9 verse 8, it doesn't say just that they were in awe of the authority that Jesus had. It's, it says they were in awe and they glorified God who had given such authority to human beings, plural. As if to say that the people around this scene begin to see what Jesus saw because Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw the power of their faith as if there's an authority in their compassion, right? I mean, I think sometimes compassion can feel weak, but there's an authority in their compassion. Jesus responds to it and then the crowd says, God has given authority to human beings. There's something about this compassionate, uh, hopeful way that these friends act on behalf of the paralytic uh, that the crowd responds to and Jesus responds to. Uh, One of the threads woven throughout the Bible is the calling to be priests. And this is not just a calling for people who are employed by churches or who have seminary degrees or who stand behind pulpits or who administer sacraments. The big idea is that we are all called to be priests you and me. Uh, One of my favorite writers, Barbara Brown Taylor, she says that a priest's job is to see the holiness in things and hold them up to God. To see the holiness in things and hold them up to God. To see the holiness in our friends, our neighbors, our global family, to see the holiness and then hold our neighbors, our friends, our beloveds up to God, hold their needs up to God, hold their hopes up to God, hold their sacred worth up to God, sort of lift it up in that bright light of the divine to be celebrated and made whole. Uh, so this is like the, the calling through and through to be, to be priests. And in, in this healing story, the crowds glorify God because of the authority that God has given us. Uh, Like I said, it's like there's an authority in our compassion. And then when our hearts break for the people we see around us and the things that they are going through, I I think we are being invited to exercise that authority somehow, Um, to get scrappy, to get tenacious, to get irreverent, to say, I'm not okay with this. I I may not be able to fix it on my own. I don't know that a prayer is going to fix it per se, but I'm not okay with that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to stifle that feeling. I'm going to let it come to the surface. I'm going to be okay being stirred up by that. And so thinking about this story and thinking about the people that I knew who were going through hard things, I could, I could feel myself sort of getting stirred up. I started praying, for example, and I started praying scrappy. I started praying irreverent. Uh, Those prayers uh, began something like, and forgive me, but this is how they actually went something like WTF God, like what the actual, you know, 
like I, I, I don't like that my friends are going through this. I don't like that these things are happening. I don't like it because I, I feel some connection with these people. And I, while I don't know entirely what it's like to be in their shoes, you, God, you've given me this, this thing that you've given us this thing that like we, we have some sense of what it's like to be in the shoes of somebody else. And so I'm feeling that heavy right now and I don't like it. And so I, I started praying about that. And um, now, look, I'm not here to like suggest that like you say the right prayer and a magic wand's going to get waved and something's going to change. Because frankly, I've just seen too much life to know that's, that's often not how it goes. But I don't think that means the prayers don't matter. Now, the ways in which they matter, some of that's a mystery to me. Uh, but one thing I know for sure is that, that something opens up inside me in those prayers. Um, an imagination grows in me in those prayers. And as I was praying for these friends, it began to produce pictures of healing in my mind uh, of what it would look like when um, the difficult moment they are walking through is not the final word on, on their lives or experience. And those pictures of healing are exactly what you would expect if this whole experience that we are having is happening within the larger environment of God's own love and compassion. And so I... I began with this feeling of helplessness and deep sadness. And then I read this story about these friends who have this beautiful empathy for their, their friend, the paralytic on the mat, and who, who tried to bring their friend to get him some help, but then ran into a, a wall. They were a problem when the house was too crowded, but they didn't get up, give up. They got scrappy. They got tenacious. They got irreverent. They walked up to the roof of the house. They cut the hole in the roof. They lowered their friend down. And then Jesus sees their faith, the faith of the friends, and responds to it and speaks to this man about a reconciling God who forgives and speaks to this man about healing. I, uh, I know I couldn't fix any of this for any of my friends, but I, I found um, a new imagination began to emerge within me for other things I could do for them. Uh, different ways of making my love tangible for my friends in this season. Um, I went from feeling really stifled to feeling new senses of possibility uh, in, in this story and in those prayers. And uh, I suspect that might be what Jesus wants to do for a lot of us today with what's going on with COVID, with the complex difficulty and pain um, that so many are, are working through right now. You know, maybe, maybe it's that thing where you look around and, and too many of your friends are financially really insecure right now and it can just feel helpless. But maybe the invitation is don't stop at the helplessness. Maybe you start with the prayers and um, maybe the prayers uh, don't sound very, very religious. Maybe they sound a little bit more like, like come on, God. Like, what are we going to do about this, God? Like, we don't want to, like, just sit on our hands here, God, do we? So, like, let's figure something out. And, and maybe uh, God will see your faith. And maybe God will begin to stir an imagination for you about, like, what you could do in all of this. And again, I don't know that a magic wand is going to get waved overnight, but I do suspect that, that we could discover that within our compassion, there is a kind of authority and then if, if we begin to move with the authority that's hidden within our compassion, the authority to pray and to act and to say that we're not okay with this and the fact that we're not okay with it means something, 
maybe others will some somehow um, be filled with some kind of awe. Some kind of mystery will will open up as others are watching, and they might be filled with a kind of praise and thanks as well for the God who's given such authority to human beings. Because I think God has given such authority to human beings. So I know we can't fix COVID today, gang. I know we can't fix the economy today, but I do not believe we are helpless. I think that empathy within you is a gift. It is so beautiful, even when it's painful, perhaps especially when it's painful. And as it breaks you open, as it, as it cracks you open, um, maybe it's an invitation to get scrappy and to get tenacious and to get irreverent, whether it's with our prayers or our actions. I think that's uh, the kind of thing that Jesus wants to lead us in. So friends, um, this uh, seemingly endless COVID season, uh, when your heart breaks for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, for strangers, for your enemies, for unknown faces from other places, when your heart breaks, may you know the authority that comes with your compassion. May you hear within that empathic groaning inside. May you hear within that groaning an invitation from the God who welcomes our scrappy, tenacious, irreverent demands that those that we see and love find healing. And may we stay rooted in the reconciliation of all things that God has promised, that forgiving posture that God has always had toward us, even when all things seem so broken. And may grace and peace be with you.